Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another evening to look to you, uh, to, to come together, to fellowship, to pray, to hear from your Word. Uh, I do ask for this Sunday specifically at uh, Oasis and Morton that you'd really use Adam and Kelly as they minister through worship and teaching. Lord, we ask that the right people would be there and that you would do an effective work. Uh, We lift up uh, Jake Gerst and Kyle Nix. Thank you for their willingness to serve the Lord in the military, Father. And I just pray for uh, really key connections Uh, In this uh, upcoming season, just the ability to be salt and light where you place them and encourage them tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, and as we go to the teaching, we ask Holy Spirit, illuminate our understanding. Lord, we're going to be looking at a very specific prayer from Proverbs chapter 30. And so Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Open our ears so that we hear what you would say to us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, when we don't have worship, I tend to go a little longer. I'm going to try to do this in maybe a half hour, but don't stone me if I go a few minutes over, okay? I'll do my best to keep it biblical so you won't really have to stone me. But <laughs> So the title of this message tonight, it's called The Prayer of Agar. And I would virtually guarantee you've never heard a teaching on the prayer of Agur. And some would hear that title and go, "Ah, is that even in the Bible? Um, But uh, there's a little story behind it I won't get into, but I've noticed this prayer years ago, and I'm like, how has no one ever talked about that? That's actually a radical prayer in the most random place in the Bible. It's kind of like after Solomon talks and before the the well-known Proverbs 31 and it's just kind of laying there and no one really ever notices it, but there it is. Um, but before I touch on it, I just wanted to say that it really is an ambition of mine to teach on everything on prayer in the whole Bible. Like that is, that is a, a holy ambition of mine. I want to, in my lifetime, study and teach every verse on prayer in the entire Bible. And so as I've set my heart to do that, I mean, when you have a ministry called House of Prayer, you're going to be looking at prayer a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just like, okay, Lord, there's like the classic Our Father, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and then there's a few apostolic prayers in the New Testament, and there's a couple long ones in the Old Testament, but there's so many little ones sprinkled all throughout Scripture. And so I, uh, I've kind of taken the task up of examining them and, and you know, praying over them. And uh, I want to teach on them. So just throwing that out there. Uh, but there's a lot of good prayers. There's a lot of good books on prayer. There's, uh, you know, you can get the, the Book of Common Prayer. There's a lot that the Puritans have written. I mean, there's prayer has been talked about for 2,000 years. 
But these prayers are in the Bible. And when a prayer is in the Bible, the Holy Spirit inspired it. And so there's so many great prayers out there and books on prayer that I want to read and you know, answers to prayer that I want to be familiar with. But when it's in the Bible, it's like, okay, that's got the seal of approval. That's oh, The Holy Spirit put that there for a reason. And so there's no Scripture that's insignificant and there's no Scripture about prayer that's insignificant. And I think you know each one of them has a little bit of a message from the Lord that's important. And so we're going to look at this kind of seemingly random, but again, inspired of the Holy Spirit prayer. Um, and so that's kind of a little bit of the background introduction there. And I probably said a little bit more, but uh, let's jump down to number two. Let's just read this. Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. Um, I use the New King James uh, when I do my notes. Um, this is actually an NIV. I'm just going to flip there just so I have it in front of me. Psalms and then Proverbs, I think. It always jumps around when you're, when you're talking. But uh, here, let's read this, and then I just want to take some time to break this down. Uh, real quick, Proverbs 30, verse 1, Agur is talking to two friends, Ithiel and Eucal. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Great names. They, I love Bible names. So he's talking to his friends, and then at verse 7, he kind of pauses, it seems like, and he, he says this little prayer. He says this, verse 7, he says, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Now, this is just interesting. I mean, he's like, God, I've got two things I want you to do in my life, which is, I mean, okay, there's, those are the two? You know, what an interesting... So he starts off, remove falsehood and lies far from me. So significant, that statement right there. Give me neither, so there's number one. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Ultra-radical statement that is completely countercultural. if you really get a hold of this. And then he says, Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Interesting. Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is Agur. You've probably never heard of this man. He's mentioned once in the Bible right here. And this is his only prayer mentioned. So he says about a chapter worth of things, but this is a prayer he says. And you get the idea, if the Bible mentions one guy one time and you get an insight into his prayer life and there's just a little snippet and the Holy Spirit stamps that with his seal of approval and saying, that's inspired, pay attention to that. He says, I got two prayer requests of you, God. Remove me from falsehood and lies. I don't even want anything to do with that. I want to be a man of truth. I want, I want to love truth. I want to love uh, the truth of Scripture. I want to love what's real. I don't want anything to do with falsehood and lies. And oh, by the way, I don't want to be poor and I don't want to be rich. I just want to have a modest living so that I can stay the course with you. I can live in a, in a humble uh, station and not get distracted by either pitfall of, of uh, you know, going deep into 
poverty and then getting into in illicit behavior because of that. And I'll, I'm going to talk about this. Or, but what more people don't think about is how many traps there are in being wealthy. So he has such wisdom. And he says, Lord, I don't want either pitfall. I want right in that center place. And uh, so I'm like, ooh, that's a great prayer. Let's look into that. Excuse me. So again, just going to reiterate, uh, Agar, hopefully uh, that's how you say his name. Agar's talking to two people, Ithiel and Eucal. He stops to pray, makes a prayer known, uh, two requests, and it's the only time we ever hear of this man. Um, and again, inspired of the Spirit. Let me go down to number three here. I'm going to camp out mainly on points three and four. So if you kind of look at this in, in, in a general way, Agar's prayer request, it's the removal of something and the addition of something. He, he's asking for something to be removed and something to be given or granted, which is interesting. A lot of times, uh, you know, I think people look at prayer as one or the other. Uh, you know, God, give me more money. God, bless me. God, you know, expand my territory. It's always about giving things to me. But prayer is also, Lord, take distractions out of my life. Lord, take sin out of my life. Uh, Lord, take unhealthy relationships out of my life. Lord, do, you know, so prayer, it's both. You know, some people are focused on the one or the other. But he, again, Agar has this wisdom to kind of, it's, it's a really good prayer. I think that's why it made the Bible. You know, point uh, three here, letter A, as we mature in our Christian faith, you know, and we're never going to be perfect. I like to make that clear always when I talk about spiritual maturity. As we mature, we, we care more about being honest people. Um, when we're young believers, you know, the Lord's very patient and tender, and we've we got a thousand things we've got to work out, and so, you know, being honest might not be the top of our list, but eventually as the years pass and we really want to be real followers of Jesus, uh, he will address the issue of honesty and being uh, someone who says what's true, um, you know, thinks about what's true, who, uh, you know, value has a basically a value system that's rooted in honesty and veracity and truth and so we read the bible to find out what's true we we are interested in true stories we're we're given to uh you know this whole idea of being men and women who love the truth uh there's a verse gosh i think i have it written down somewhere uh here in second second thessalonians 2 10 talks about a people who did not love the truth or they did not receive the love of the truth. And one of the main issues, actually, as Christians is we'll either love the truth or we won't. It's kind of a dividing line. And, and the reason that is is because Jesus is the ultimate truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we love Jesus and Jesus is the truth, will eventually love truth. And so this first idea is, as we mature, like Agur, he was at a point and he's like, I want nothing to do with lies and falsehood and deceptions and deceit. I want only to be rooted in truth. As we mature and become like Jesus, and Agur was tapping into this, we don't want anything to do with um, 
you know, all of that, all of what he touched on. We want what's true. And this, this touches every area of our life. I mean, once we, you know, once we compromise a little, and, eh, you know, I'm just gonna, a little bit of a lie over there, and eh, a little bit is going to kind of fudge on money, and it just begins to seep into every area of life. Uh, my advice, and I, again, I'm not perfect, but is to set your heart to be 100% honest in everything you do in life and never lie ever. Like, And when you do and you recognize it, I'm sorry, actually, that wasn't true. Would you please forgive? You know, kind of have that approach or when you find out maybe you weren't even thinking but you ended up doing something a little deceptive, you know, to, to say you're sorry and make amends kind of thing, but just to really live like, you know, as honest as possible. Uh, pray for the grace to be honest and to love what is true. Uh, let her see here. Being dishonest or deceitful and, and unrepentant about lying. I mean, I think of Ananias and Sapphira. There's drastic consequences when we say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to keep lying and keep being deceptive and this and that. I go, man, there's that story in the book of Acts. I don't want anything to do because they had like a plan. They kind of, you know, you know the story in a nice fire. They sold their land and they got so much money, but they kind of were dishonest about it when they gave the money. And so the one dies and then the next one comes in and Peter's like, wait, did you really do that? And yeah, yeah, we did. And then they, she dies and it's like, wow, why did that have to happen? I don't know all the answers as to why that happened, but all I know is they lied and then they died. And that freaks me out. I get, that puts the fear of God in my heart. And I don't think we're going to die just because we fudged a little bit here or there, but they did. And so it's like, Ugh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I don't want to, you know, even, uh, I want to have a, a very, high level of integrity when it comes to like my dealings with people and especially when it comes to money. And so, um, you know, there's many, many exhortations throughout Scripture to be honest, and we get that. Uh, and I don't know why there was such serious judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, but my theory is, is that that's how they lived. And there were probably many warnings given to them and then they just, the last warning, they just still never repented. And so uh, the Lord says, that's it. You're done. And I think, you know, there's a couple ways I want to look at that. I think there's a lot of Christians today that are spiritually dying because they're dishonest. They, they really want to be spiritually mature and they really want to love Jesus and do something great for God, but they can't stop lying. They can't stop being deceptive and they can't stop, you know, whatever. And so they're dead on the inside. And I don't, you know, I, God's God. He, he judges who he wants. He corrects who he wants and all that. But I look at that story and I just go, I, Lord, spare me. I don't want to sell a field and try to fake people out and die. Like, and it very well could be that they're in heaven and the Lord just intervened before they fully walked away from the Lord. And so we might see him one day and say, Ananias and Sapphira, what happened there? And I don't know. But it's just like, I think their life is a lesson to us that being dishonest, being unrepentant about it, 
has major consequences. Not We don't always physically die, but we definitely spiritually die. And so that's why I think, man, if they would have taken like a prayer, like the prayer of Agra seriously, imagine if, you know, when they were in the synagogue growing up and they heard the prayer of Agra read to them, if that would have really caught their heart. And if they would have been like, yeah, we don't want to trick the apostles. We want to be honest. We want to, you know, but it didn't. And so I think the Lord says, learn the prayers that would keep you from being dishonest so that you'll be spiritually vibrant and spiritually alive. There's so many ways to cut corners. There's, oh man, it's just this technology's out there. So many ways to compromise our faith and appear this or, or that way. It's, it's hard to be genuine. It's hard to be the real deal. But here's the thing. We follow the gospel of grace. We follow the gospel of a gracious man named Jesus. And if we're like ensnared in sin, we can literally say, God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for being so deceptive. Like Jacob was a deceit. I mean, he just was a skilled deceiver. And yet God was kind to him. And he can be kind to us, but we have to repent. We have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And, uh, and so it's just, it's so cool because there are like, Sins in the Bible that get drastically dealt with. But Jesus is like, I will be so kind to you if you'll be open. I'll be so kind to you if you just get it out and apologize and don't try to keep living that way. But Ananias and Sapphira, they thought they could. Here's the thing. They didn't have the story of Ananias and Sapphira to get the fear of God. They became the story that we look back and go, oh, that makes me tremble. And so I I want to be, I want to be an example of like what happens when you obey, not when you disobey. But they became an example of what it looks like when you disobey, just like Judas. And so, Lord, spare us. Help us to be honest. Help us to take seriously what Agur prayed. Remove falsehood far from me. Take lies away from me, God. Like there's this zeal in his prayer. Like He's like, these are the top two things. Number one, take lies out of my life because... It's so easy to do. It's just so easy. I love Mark Twain. He says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> I love that. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And it's so, it's so true because when you're a liar, you're constantly having to remember, who did I say that? Oh, oh yeah, and then I had to, th okay, and then we sold the field, and so I got to tell my wife, and then she's got to say, and, and you're constantly having to do this elaborate game of remembering. Mark Twain says, just, you just tell the truth. You don't have to do the whole thing. I love that advice. Now, personally, I've got a before Jesus and an after Jesus, You know, you, just like you guys. We all have a B.C. and an A.D., We've all had a before we knew the Lord life. <laughs> so we're all, we all know about lying and deception and all that. Uh, certainly I do. And as I've grown, though, I've just, I've just like, Lord, oh, why did I do that? And uh, so many tried to cut corners so many times. And thank you for your mercy. And it's kind of like uh, Paul, uh, when he was writing one of his letters, He's like, I am the worst sinner. I killed people. I, I was a persecutor. But God had mercy on me because I, I was ignorant. I had no idea. And praise God for His grace and mercy. We, we were ignorant. We didn't know. But now that we know and the lights are on, we're responsible. We have to be like agar. We know lying is wrong. We know deceit is wrong.
We know falsehood is horrible. And so we have to have that, Lord, take it from me. It's always, you know. Anybody remember that song, Tell Me Lies, Tell Me Sweet Little Lies? You, you remember that? So maybe if you're younger. It's a real popular, catchy tune. And it's like just the world is just whispering lies constantly, just just singing like, tell me lies. And it's so easy just to get wrapped up in so many things that aren't even real or true. And so I, it's just, there's almost like a vigilance we need to wrap our mind around what's, what's, what's God, what's good, what's real and true. Um, excuse me. Let me just touch on letter D here because this is something that I think is really important uh, for us as believers, as for his church, is the whole area of conspiracies. Uh, I've watched this accelerate dramatically for the last two, three years. Uh, there are so many things out there. I mean, obviously now because of the Internet, social media, and now artificial intelligence is getting involved, and so there's just all kinds of fake stuff out there and lies and partial truths and all kinds of sensationalized information. And so we can be immersed, not even know it, but be completely immersed in a whole world of deception because we've gone down a rabbit hole of conspiracies and we're just like so far off. And I just really feel so strongly like that is not the way forward for the church. And I try to say what I say nicely and with kindness, but I've seen a lot of people go way far out of the truth trying to, you know, get involved in this stuff. And it's, I get why, because the human heart wants to feel like I'm in the know. Like I'm going way off into this rabbit hole because the truth is somewhere in there. That's why I'm so into that conspiracy. And it kind of sells itself as you'll be in the know if you just go down the rabbit hole off the deep end. You'll really get it. But instead of being enlightened, you're actually even more deceived. Because a conspiracy is not rooted in truth. It's rooted in partial truth. And partial truth is partial lie. And so when you're believing partial truths, and even that partial truth is sensationalized, it's not fully factual, you're, you're, you're thinking things all day long that aren't even true. And, and I, again, I've seen this explode in the last few years. You've seen it explode. We need that prayer of agor that's like, Lord, if it's not true, if it's only partially true, if it's, I don't want it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How do I get free as a Christian? You have to believe true things. You have to give your mind and your heart to reality. You have to give your being to what's real and what's of ultimate reality is in the Bible. And, and so don't spend all day in the media. Like, we all have to hear this. I need to hear I'm preaching myself. Like, there's a lot of good information out there. This is revelation. There's a lot of neat truths out there. This is the truth. And so we have to fight this war of winning our brain and our emotions with what's in this text. And so just a, a friendly, brotherly, like, let's check ourselves. If we're getting way out into YouTube video land, listening to one side of the you know, partisan stuff or that side of the partisan stuff, and I've got liberal friends, I've got conservative friends, and they both think each other are crazy and all these things. 
But there's something that transcends the whole narrative that's happening in culture. There's something far above it, and it's called truth. It's a man. And he has the ability to set us free if we're... Anyway, this is going to get me off topic, but there, there's something more important than the cultural conversation. That's the heavenly conversation. That, that's the one that God's having. And a lot of Christians today, they make the mistake of thinking if it's on the news, then it's the most important thing in heaven. That God must be talking about it if it's on CNN or Fox. And, and the reality is God's aware but that's certainly not what is dominating his thinking. Like, oh, what Tucker Carlson say? Oh, we got angels. We got to react to that because Tucker Carlson did something. And oh, look what happened on CNN? Or uh, he's just so not like what we're like. And so he's what he's transcending it all. He's above the circle of the earth, seated on the throne of power. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's just wondering. It's like what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, are there any who understand? Are there any who seek God? It's like, where are the people of understanding who are seeking me? Because the cultural conversation is going to happen and it's going to have a new flavor every day. But there's this man on a throne named Jesus. He's full of majesty and glory. And light emanates from him. Truth and reality. Freedom is available in him. And he's turning his church back to him. But we have to say, Lord, remove some things from my life so that I can reconnect to you. And I, and I am positive. He's saying, remove some of these distractions. Remove these partial truths and all these narratives and conversations that are conspiratorial. And yeah, it's okay to be aware of kind of what's going on out there. But don't be like fully given to it. Fully give yourself to the Lord. I often joke that when people get bored with Jesus, they turn to politics. But it's really true. When people, when Christians get bored with their Bible and with Jesus, they go into politics and conspiracies. And they just get completely obsessed with it. And it's like, guys, 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 I get that we live in a society. I get that we have a government. I get all these things. And I, you know, <laughs> there is a man up there who is God. And he is having a conversation that I am interested in. I want to be a part of. I'm preaching to the choir. Philippians 4.8. Paul says this. This is, oh man, I want a whole generation to get a hold of. What does Paul the Apostle say? Because Paul talked a lot. I mean, he probably said a dozen or two times, don't get involved in wives' tales and fables and all kinds of things. It was his language of don't do the conspiracy thing. He, he said this many times, but he says, brethren, here's what you need to do. If it's true, think about that. If it's noble, think about that. If it's just, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's of a good report, if it's a good testimony, those are the things you are to meditate on as a believer. And if Paul had to tell the Philippians, and they didn't even have the internet, how much more do we need to hear the apostolic revelation Think about what's true. Think about Scripture. Think about God. And I'm not down on, you know, we need to be aware. Jesus said, watch and pray. That means we got to be observant. we got to know what's going on in the world. But there's a difference between being informed and being fully down a rabbit hole. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Okay. We're bringing this to a close at some point. <laughs> You're my people. Thanks for putting up with me. Okay, so remove falsehood and lies from me. I have 
beat that dead horse so many times. Now we're going on to the give me neither poverty nor riches. This is, to be honest, this is probably not considered a fun message. Uh, every once in a while, you just you just preach what the Bible says, and it lands where it lands. Remove falsehood and lies from me, number one. Number two, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Ooh, this is good. This is really good. Not what I'm saying, what the Bible's saying. I can't get over this prayer. I mean, it's like the two things we need today. We need people to get far away from all the deceptions of the world and to set their heart, literally to have a prayer life where they say, God, I don't want to be rich. I don't want abject poverty, but I also don't want wealth. I just want to have a really modest life where I honor God. And I see more and more Christians, they're trying to get another side hustle and then another side hustle, and then they're just always trying to get more money so they can get a little bit bigger house, another better car, and this and that, and they're just cons they don't know they're idolizing money. And they're, they're not even thinking about, guy, yeah, they'll check in church on Sunday, maybe every once in a while, do a little conference or something. But as long as they tell me that I'm going to be blessed and even wealthier and that there's an anointing on my life and I'm super awesome, like that kind of Christianity is just not going to fly in the years ahead where the pressure gets more intense and the persecution gets turned up and it's actually costly to be a believer like that, that we have to begin to challenge the status quo. And here's what Agar prays. He's like, God, I actually, I don't want riches. Have you ever prayed, God, don't give me riches? Like that's a radical prayer. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'd, I'd love a little more money. I mean, who wouldn't? I, I'd love to, you know, be a little more comfortable. But do we have that daring or that radical place on the inside where we could actually say, God, help me to be content with where I'm at because I just want to honor you. Man, that's so radical to me. It's so, again, countercultural because what is the predominant gospel in America right now? Jesus died so that you could be entrepreneurial and make more money and be rich. That, that's, that is a pervasive gospel in the land, and it is, uh, it's truly, it's deceptive. There is an American Christianity that, that is just not biblical Christianity, and people really, they're well-meaning people, they've never really been taught the Bible, and so they really think Jesus died to make them rich. The thing is, he, made, he, he died to make them rich in spirit. He died to, to, to put the Holy Spirit of God in them. He wants them rich for eternity. But in this life, we embrace modesty and radical giving. We send that money ahead. We're sending it into our heavenly bank account. We'll be rewarded in the next age. But we're not living now to be like the next whatever, the big, you know, what was the, uh, the, the cartoon DuckTales? Um, was not, not Donald Duck, but... Was it Daffy Duck, the one who would swim through his gold and, you know, anyway, cartoon for old people like me. But he had this vault, and he would jump off the, the diving board into his vault of gold and just swim in it. And it's like, you know, I think many Christians have this concept of, like, that's the blessing of the Lord. When the blessing of the Lord, it just looks totally different. Let's go through some of this. And again, I'm not going to go too much longer. 
that's such a wise prayer. Asking God. This is what he's essentially saying. God, just give me enough. Do you have the daring to say, Lord, just give me enough? I mean, not to agree with it, to actually pray this. And again, this is consistent with the whole of Scripture. This is a systematic understanding of Scripture. There are many warnings in the Bible about wealth. Many. And it's interesting how you never hear him preached on Sunday. Jesus and the apostles gave many warnings about riches. It is a snare to have a ton of money. It's a real snare. Uh, and I could go into many, I'm not going to go too off. And, and it's a snare to have abject poverty touch your life as well because what happens when you're in abject poverty is you, you are fearful and so you turn to illicit behavior. i got to sell drugs. I gotta sell my body. I gotta do something to make money because there's nothing coming in. What the government's doing for me isn't enough for my family. And so I gotta do something. And so you end up selling drugs and then you end up behind bars. And that's just, it's, 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 it's real though. It's real. A lot of people get ensnared by poverty. And, and again, there is so many, yeah. I mean, it's, when that's been your family history, like, Grandpa sold drugs, dad sold drugs, and, and dad's in jail, and all this stuff. When it's, that's been your family, how do you break out of that? Because you've just been in poverty your whole life. It's all you've ever known. And so there is a trap there, and it's real. But then people think, well, the answer then is to be stupid rich, is the term I hear all the time. I'm, I want to be stupid rich. It's like, that's stupid, honestly. That's really dumb. Be. I mean, I just saw a podcast the other day where a guy, God bless him, it's just, it's just, the other other side of the coin is you're not physically in jail, but you're in a jail of a life that God never wanted for you and you can't get out of it because you have too much money. You're too used to the leisure and you're too used to the promiscuity and you're too used to the greed and you're thinking that's the blessing of God. It's very deceptive. Riches are very deceptive. I, I can't think of a more needed message in America. It's, it's the Laodicean message. You think you're good because of all the wealth that is around you. When actually your faith is truly broken. Truly broken. And Jesus used the strongest language in the entire New Testament. He said, the, the Christian faith you're living, it truly actually makes me sick. I can't imagine. I mean, imagine if Jesus wrote a letter and sent it to the, all the churches in Peoria and he said, the Christianity you're living is so far off from what I actually died for, it actually makes me nauseous. And I say that because I love you. Imagine getting a letter. That's the letter that the Laodiceans received. And I fear for the church in America. I, I truly do. I, the, the older I get, I get maybe I get a little crankier. I don't know. I just le- I see the Bible and I see the gap between the Bible and and how they lived in the New Testament and how we're living. And I just see this obsession with getting more money. And here's the thing: one of the main traps is there's a place where you can get just enough money to where you no longer need God. 
And, and it's a truly, it's a bad place to be. Many Christians today, they have enough money to not need God. And if God doesn't come through, it's okay. I have a good, comfortable life. And so there's a huge swath of Christians, they never see miracles because they don't need miracles. They, they don't need God at all. And they don't mind checking in at church, but they don't, they don't want God to really bother their life. And so they just never really experience the New Testament Christianity that Paul preached, that the apostles preached, and that the early church literally died for. It's a precious faith. There's so much that could be said here. There's so much, but give me neither poverty nor riches. Agar, are you serious? Do you really mean that? The Holy Spirit says he really meant that. I'm stamping that into the Bible. He prayed that he really meant that. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Well, here's the one guy who says, well, I want to be rich so that I can give and, and build the kingdom. Buddy, are you giving right now? Well, I'm not giving right now, but one day when I'm rich, I'll really... Bro, if you're not giving now, you won't give when you're rich. You'll just be more compromised. People just, they have no idea what wealth does. It really does compromise you. And you have to be so solid. Not even Jesus was rich. We see what wealth did to Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest men to ever live. And wealth touched him. He couldn't stop. He's like, i got to have more of that. It's like a drug. There is, there is nothing... Uh, you know, that can, that, that's, anyway, I'm saying this for a reason. I'm believing that from this little house, this little gathering, that a, a needed message is going forth that will have its effect in some way in our community, the spirit, or however that works. But the church needs to be reminded we need God far more than we need money. And if we have no money, but we have Jesus, we have everything. And if we can't pay our bills, but we got God and we're seeking God, we're okay. Guys, there are so many Christians in the earth who live in a mud hut that gets burned down by persecutors and they have Jesus, so they have everything. They have everything. Everything in this world is perishing. The only thing that lasts is what we send ahead. If we give it away, it's stored in a bank account where moth and rust cannot destroy. And one day Jesus will say, I saw that labor of love. I saw that you gave that when you even couldn't afford to. And I'll remember that for forever. Here it is right here. I multiplied it. And, you know, the, the rewards that are going to be eternal, that's another message. But it's so powerful when we can just say, you know what? I want just enough. That's what I really want in life. I want just enough. Some people would say, brother, it sounds like a poverty mentality. No, that's a biblical mentality. To just want what God wants me to have. To not be greedy. To not be covetous. To not have to live every day thinking, I'm a failure because I'm not a billionaire. That's the new mantra. Oh, you're not a millionaire by the time you're 30? Oh, man. So, that stinks. Guys, I'm going to go five more minutes. The thing about money is you have to manage it. And the more money you got, the more you got to manage it, it ends up managing you. Because you have to have it tied to so many things. You can't just put it in stocks. You got to have it in real estate. You got to have so many things, and it just takes your life. It really does take your whole life to manage. The more money you have, the more it, it, it manages you. 
The wise man once said, more money, more problems. <laughs> it's almost biblical. I don't know, maybe. We'll see. We'll see where that is. When the dust settles, we'll see if that was true or not, but who knows. Now, here's the thing. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world in the wealthiest time period in world history. Okay? So, think of it. If you've got a house with electricity and plumbing on the inside, you don't have to go out to an outhouse. You can stay inside in the heat or air conditioning, and you've got Internet, you have things today, us, that they couldn't fathom in the year 1900. If you've got two beat-up cars, they couldn't fathom that just 100 years ago. If you have bottles of, bottles of water, imagine in the year 1000, just journeying through the Sahara, trying to get from one landmass to the other, what this, this people would kill for this. A bottle of water, whoa, whoa. What's that Kroger thing? I, you know, we have things today. We are so wealthy; it's inconceivable. Even even in like the 1950s, people couldn't imagine the technology, the medicine. I, another message one day is just the miracle of modern medicine. Hundred years ago, people died of things that we just go, "Boop!" There's a pill. It's a miracle, the mercy of God in so many ways. And yet we will sit here and stew and go, God, I am mad at you because I'm not a billionaire yet and I don't have three cars and an even bigger house and an even bigger yacht and an even bigger vacation home because my coworker has it and I can't believe I don't have it. And it's just like I think the Lord truly in, in a loving, fatherly, paternal way just kind of goes, oh, you're totally missing it. You're so blessed. If you just live in an average house, in an average neighborhood with one rusty minivan, you are so beyond what most people in history could ever even dream of. I mean, it's just incredible to think. And so just understand, even if you think your life right now is like, Ugh, I, I don't have a very good life, it's so much better than what it was 100 years ago or 200 or 300. The standard of living is incredible. It's only getting better. I mean, literally, we fly around the world on airplanes and trains and stuff. I mean, just imagine being in the year 1200. You, you couldn't enter your mind. There's stuff like that. If someone came back from the future to the year 1250 and said, hey, like, we got, like, airplanes now. And, you know, if you're sick, you just go to the hospital and you're good. They, they just they'd have no grit. They, what? They'd, they'd want to worship you. <laughs> they, they, you know, when Paul and Barnabas, when they went to that one area and they tried to worship them, it's like, bro, you know, it's, it's just crazy the wealth and the blessing that God has poured out on the Western world. But he's looking for a response of gratitude. He's looking for a response of like, Lord, I see what you've done. And so don't let me get ensnared in it. Don't let me get preoccupied with it. Help me just to be grateful, but to give myself to an honest living. Keep me from lies and deception. Keep me grateful. Keep me just serving you the way you've called me. And uh, give me neither poverty nor riches, Lord. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to land this. God, this is letter D. God is calling His church to modesty of living, radical generosity, Again, we don't have to be wealthy to be givers. You can give 10% right now, no matter what you're earning. You can give 15, 20, 25%. You can give your whole paycheck if you want and just say, God, I need a miracle. I just, you said in the Bible, test me now in this. If I will not 
open the heavens for you. And so I'm just going to, by faith, I'm going to give 100% of my paycheck. I'm going to take care of the poor this, this month or do something, whatever you lead me to do. And I'm just going to see if a miracle happens. And if a miracle doesn't happen, that's okay. I just love you. But maybe it will. Those are the kinds of things that Agur would think of. Those are the kinds of things that when, we, when we're like, okay, I am not bought out by the world, we think things like that. We think, who can I give to even though I don't have a lot? Who can I bless even though I'm not, uh, you know, Elon Musk or whatever? Uh, he, he, by the way, everybody gives account for their life. And if you've got the most money in the whole world, can you imagine the conversation you're going to have with God? <laughs> I better not go there. But I'm just thinking, if you have enough money to literally buy Twitter for $50 bajillion or whatever that was, I mean, you can literally buy countries. You can buy countries. You can, you can feed the poor in the earth. For, I mean, again, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just saying wealth is a stewardship. And whether you've got $100 or $100 million or $100 billion or trillion, we will all answer to God for what we've been given. And don't pretend you're going to be, you know, this amazing, awesome, generous, radical giver when you're a billionaire if you're not doing it now. Um, sometimes people say, well, like, what do I do? I want to give. I want to be faithful and all that. Just start with, you know, where you can and just start working on it. Um, when I was really young, people told me to tithe. <clears throat> and so I did. And then I heard a message one time where a guy, you know, gave more. And so I'm like, tried, I started, you know, doing that. But the emphasis in the Old Testament is tithing. And then the emphasis in, in the New Testament is generosity. It's, it's not really a percentage that's really detailed in Scripture. In, in the New Testament, the, the early church community was just generous. They don't exactly say. So I say, you know, start with tithing. That's cool. But work your way to total generosity where, you know, it could be way more than 10% uh, of what you do. And, and don't make it like a box to check. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I try to be faithful in giving uh, when, the, when the money's there. But it could be other ways too, giving yourself to help your neighbor, or, you know, just serving and things like that. Okay, I've gone way too long. You guys have been patient. That's the prayer of Agar. Let's say it one more time. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. <clears throat> and now help us to, to live this way. Help us to really do this. Help us to, to be a people that prays this and lives this, God. And I just pray, Lord, I've shared, I've put out what was on my heart, but I pray, Holy Spirit, you would make it life to those here, those who are maybe will hear this on Facebook, Lord. I'm asking you to make this alive, God, and that there would be no condemnation at all, but there would simply be inspiration to obey Jesus in these areas, God, with regard to falsehood and deception, with regard to how we... Uh, live our life and monetarily things like that, Lord, I pray inspiration upon the heart and mind, Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus. And we thank you once again in Jesus' name. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. 
To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.